0: God has made it very clear and plain in the Bible that he is the only God there is. He says it more than once, and this is what he says. I am God, and there is none else. It's hard to be more emphatic than that. And what kind of God is he? Well, the Bible says that he is a just God and a savior. How wonderful to know that. God does only that which is right and just. Now, this is a tremendous thing, but it's a fearful one as well. Why is that? Well... We are unjust sinners, people who have turned our back on God and gone our own way. And justice requires that we face our sentence of condemnation. Yes, God is just, and it should make us tremble. But he is also just in providing a wonderful remedy. He has sent a Savior and proclaims a sinner just who believes in Christ for salvation. And the remedy is simple. Look unto me and be saved, he says. He has done it all. Now, isn't that wonderful? In today's broadcast, evangelist Mr. David Hurley High explains in some detail about the characteristics of God and the great plan of salvation as it unfolds within the Bible. We hope that you'll listen very carefully and you'll not miss the wonderful Savior that God is offering you today.
1: Isaiah chapter 1 and verse number 18. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Now that's something that is important just to notice at the end of that reading. The mouth of the Lord has spoken it. If you had been there, you would have known fully that There was a time when Isaiah's pen wrote that. Isaiah was the one that brought this right down to earth, to the human being, to the human race. But Isaiah was absolutely clear in one thing. These words did not originate with me. They are from heaven. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. it. So that is vital when it comes to gospel meetings like this. It is vital when someone sits down to speak with you, whether it be over a cup of coffee or whatever it might be, a slice of pizza or a one of those lovely, healthy McDonald's hamburgers, whatever it might be, if you sit around and you begin to speak about spiritual things, it is absolutely vital that somehow you come to grips with this. When it comes to spiritual things, it is not just you and I. It is not just that person that sits across the table from you. It is not just that person in your life, maybe in your very family, maybe in your workplace, maybe living on your street. It is not just them that you are dealing with and conversing with. If there is going to be any benefit when it comes to the Bible, the gospel, the good news, or really the gospel it just means good news, then you must get a hold of this. You must become conscious of this, that God is reaching out to you. God is speaking to you. Now, that is a very wonderful thing. Now, most people perceive God maybe something like the little caricature or the comic that I once saw on one of my co-workers' desks. It was a picture of a kind of a, well, a rather dumb-looking chap walking down the street and suspended above his head was a was a grand piano, and there was God somewhere up above a cloud ready to push the button to release it. That was the artist's depiction and concept of God. A God who just wished and, and was just longing and with a gleeful grin on his face, just waiting to, to snuff that man out and the man unsuspecting going onward. Now, that may be comical to some people, but that's not the God of the Bible nor is it the God of this verse. So that I would like you to understand right from the very outset of my message that this verse brings before us the truth of God and one of the vital things that you must understand about God that we would long to acquaint you with tonight, and it's this, that God is a God who says, come. That's the truth of it. So that as we have begun, Isaiah chapter 1 and verse number 18 begins with that four-letter word that is so beautiful, that is so all-important to our world. He says, come. Now, I don't know if that's how you perceive God. Or if you perceive a God who is saying, go. If you perceive a God who is just not interested in you whatsoever. A God who is so busy that he really has no time for you. A God that maybe has taken something important from you or from someone you know. Maybe you perceive him to be a God who has brought or rather allowed natural disasters to come into our world and senseless tragedies. Oftentimes people ask us that question, if God is real, why does he allow these things to happen? And I'm rather sorry, I cannot allow the blame to rest on God for that. I have to rise to the defense of God. God is not the one who first brought death and disaster into the world, nor is he the reason that it is still here today. It came because of our own free will, our own free choice. And though you and I were not responsible for that first choice that was made, when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden and disobeyed God, and they became the original sinners, yet you yourself have been guilty of making the wrong choice time and time again, as I have been. I have made wrong choices today. Things that I should have done that I have not done, and things that I should not have done that I have done. Things that maybe I did not speak, but I thought that were wrong. Those are all against God. Those are all conscious choices and sometimes not so conscious choices that we make the wrong choices when faced with the truth from God. It's not God's fault that the world is in the condition it's in today. It would never be like this if it were not for we. We have caused it. We have brought sin into this world. That's absolutely clear from the Bible when you come to Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12. That sin came into the world through man, And as a result of that, death has passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Now, you have a choice when faced with that. When I go to the doctor, I don't go to the doctor very often. My wife has to kind of twist my arm to get me there. But if I went to a doctor, I am not looking for a doctor who just says the things that I want to hear. I'm looking for a doctor who will tell me the truth. If I have a brain tumor, I want to know that I have a brain tumor. I don't want to say, well, go home and just uh, increase your vitamin C intake and everything will be all right. No, I want to know. When it comes to spiritual things, would you prefer that you didn't know? Would you prefer that you came into this building and we just said sugar-coated words that were senseless and even mindless to some extent? Because even your own conscience would not agree with words that say you're all right, that you have never sinned. There is something within every one of us that agrees with what God says when he says, all have sinned. There's something within us that agrees with that. And then there's something else. It's our own will and the teaching and the training that we have received in our world that we are not sinners. So that there is this constant battle going on. What God has placed into us, a conscience, a conscience, and what has been placed into our mind by our world in the system we are living in and amongst. And it says you have not sinned and you're okay. When it comes to a battle like that, I'm sorry. I have to come back to what God says. And when God says that every single person in this world has sinned, I've got to agree with God. Don't like it, but I've got to agree with God. It's only sensible. And yet a God who has pronounced the whole world guilty, sinners before him, gives these amazing words come now and let us reason together said the lord he is inviting you to come now, now that's a very interesting thing because god is a god who has just been pronouncing through isaiah that the nation to whom he was speaking the nation of israel that they were in horrible shape in fact he says earlier in the chapter he says you are like children i have been like a father to you and he says i have nourished you in the pictures of a nourishing mother or a nursing father And as parents, they do everything for a child. They focus their love upon that child, and they feed them. They give them nourishment. They see the needs of their development so that it's through the work and the care and the responsibility of a parent that that child actually begins to grow and to expand and become somebody. That's the picture. He says, I've nourished and brought up children. He says, more than that. He says, I've brought them up. That's the thought of God has taken us from a lower plane and he has lifted to a place of grace, to a place of privilege. It's an exalting, it's an extolling, it's a bringing up. Do you know that the knowledge that is in this book would lift us? It doesn't seem that way at first. Hearing something like all of sin does not seem like it's exalting, like it lifts us, but it does. You get to follow the message through to its completion. That's where it begins, that everyone has sinned. And here were these people and God had had nourished them, and he had brought them up as children. Do you know what the result of that was? Do you know what the response was from the nation of Israel? He says, I have treated you, as children, as the perfect father, and you have not even responded to me on the level of the animals. He said, the ox knows his owner, and the donkey knows his master's crib. But these people, they don't even perceive that I'm a God who has treated them so well. A God who has blessed them. A God who has met their needs. Can you imagine what's that like? What that is like for a father? I mean, those of us that are parents, there is something we love. Just, just for that moment, we would almost work all day and all night. Just, just for the moment when our child from the first gives us that first smile and they look up and they say, mama or dada. And we see there's a response and the parent's heart just becomes so filled with love for a child that simply responded. Yet God has been a better parent than any of us could ever be. And he said, you're not even acting like an animal. At least an animal knows who his owner is. Isn't that tremendous? That was his children. They were rebellious. They turned against him. They ignored him as their father. Then come again and he he says, and he gives another picture, and he says, I am like a doctor. And I am standing there and the patient has come into my waiting room and I have done the examination. And he says, the picture is not pretty. He says, from the very sole of the foot to the head. He says, there's not one part of the body that's healthy. The whole head, it's sick. The heart is faint. There is no response. There's tremendous problems when God puts the spiritual stethoscope to the heart of mankind. A tremendous problem in the heart. You know what he says as a doctor? He says, you've refused my treatment. You've got wounds and bruises, and they have not been bound up. He says, I know what to do. And I long to do it, but you will not let me because you refuse to admit that you've got a problem. As children, they were heedless. They would not listen to their father. As medical cases before the doctor, they were absolutely hopeless because they would refuse the doctor's treatment. But then he uses them as a nation and he says, as a nation, your country is desolate all the best things of your land. He says, strangers have come in. They're devouring it. Do you know how those strangers get in there? They invited them. And because they ignored God, they were refusing the help of God who would have protected them, who would have looked after them, who would have met every need. And he says, you have refused me as your defender. And as a nation, you were absolutely helpless. It's not a pretty picture, is it? As children heedless. As medical cases... Absolutely hopeless. And as a nation, they were absolutely helpless because they were refusing. The only one who could save them. They were faced with enemies that were so much greater than them. And God proved before that he could deliver them. God brought them right of the very heart of the most powerful nation of the day, right out of Egypt. And as a nation, he blessed them. He brought them out of Egypt that they thought was wonderful. And yet they were in slavery. They didn't realize the slavery they were in. And he brought them all the way through a wilderness by mighty power. And he brought them into a land. And this is how it was described. It was flowing with milk and honey. A wonderful land. And they refused to allow God to remain in it. They refused to maintain their relationship with the God that had done all of that with them. Now that was Israel. You say, why are you preaching to me about Israel? Do you know why? Because when we come to Romans chapter 3, verse 19, we find this. That what God said to the nation of Israel through the law, and through the prophets. What he spoke to them pronounced condemnation on the whole world. By condemning them and pointing out their failure, he says, what he saith to them that are under the law, dealing with the nation, he says, he saith to the whole world that all the world may become guilty before God. Guilty before God. Guilty before God. Just because God brings before us the nation of Israel as a sampling, he says, if the sample is bad, so is the rest. I was raised in a farm. When I was a little chap running around five and six, there was a, t- a time in the week that I always loved. the was a dairy farm, well, among other things. But in the milk room, there was probably a thousand liter milk tank. And every two or three days, that tank would become pretty well full. And along would come the milk truck with the milkman driving, and of course, driving his milk truck. And he would back into that barn, and I loved to get there, because I liked Fred. Fred was a good guy. Fred would always pay attention to me and speak to me and, and ask me questions about my day. Just kind of a, broke up the boredom and on those hot summer afternoons when there wasn't so much to do, when all the chores were done. i just liked to be there to see Fred. You know what I used to watch Fred do? He would open the big folding door at the end of that big milk tank, and he would take a little whiff over the tank with probably a 1,000-liter tank, but he didn't let it fill. That was kind of for the stormy days, so if the milkman couldn't get there, there was extra overflow space. So, so probably 500 liters of milk there, and he was just trying to take a whiff. He was smelling. And, and then he would take from his truck from the side, he would take a little pair of tongs, and he had, he had a bunch of little bottles, just like little pill bottles, and he would take a pair of those tongs, and he would dip that, swirl it around, and then he would bring up just a little bottle of milk. And then he would take a dipper, and he would just take that dipper, and he would just take a little taste of the milk. And he would swirl it around in his mouth, and then he would kind of look off into the outer space for a minute, testing, and then he'd nod his head. And he would put the cover in the bottle and put it in the box, label it Hurley High Farm, and then Fred would hook the big the big hose onto that tank and he'd drain it and put it into his truck. Do you know what Fred was doing? He was taking a sampling of the 500 liters. And first of all, if it passed his test and he was convinced there was nothing wrong with it, he was happy then to put his job on the line and his reputation and take the rest of that milk and put it in with all the other farmer's milk and take it to the, to the plant. But the sampling was for the lab. And that little bottle went to the lab, and every farmer's milk was tested to make sure it was all right. Now, Fred did not have to stand there and try and drink 500 liters of milk to see whether it was good or bad. Fred did not have to take his whole truck and back it into the lab and say, Here he is, boys. Here it is. Here's the milk. Test it. No, no. He just took a sampling because that sample spoke and represented all that was in the tank. You see the principle? It's not difficult, is it? That's what we're seeing in Isaiah chapter 1. We're seeing Isaiah, and he's like the milkman. And he is living amongst them. Did you know what he says in chapter 6? He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I can see it in myself. But as I look around, he says, I can see that I'm living in the middle of a people of unclean lips. And the reason their lips are not clean is because their heart is not clean. And Isaiah is just agreeing with what the lab says. God had the lab. God was pronouncing the final judgment. And if the lab said that little bottle was bad, then the farmer did not get paid for his milk. I don't almost don't like to break it to you if you've never heard this before. But what was true, these many centuries ago in Isaiah's day, as he sampled Israel and as he gave the report from the lab, from God, that the sampling was bad, that the sampling were sinners, that the sampling were heedless, they wouldn't listen, that they were hopeless, and that they were helpless. The same was true of the rest of the world in that day, and is true of our world tonight, so that every one of us stand condemned by the message that Isaiah had so many years ago because the human heart has not changed. There was only one change that took place in the human heart, and that's when mankind left the state of innocency and perfection in which God had created them. And they chose rather to follow their own will and became sinners. And there was no going back by mankind's power, by the energy of the human will. It just doesn't happen that way. So is there a way back? You say, is there any message of hope? Yes, there is. To those same people that God said, as children you've rebelled, you're heedless. As medical cases, you are hopeless. As a country... You are helpless. Yet God turns around to them in Isaiah chapter 1, just a few short verses later, and he says, that's the pronunciation. That's the prognosis. That is the diagnosis. But this is what I have to say to you. Come now and let us reason together. The Old Testament and the New Testament. God was saying, come then. And the message for today is still, come. Come now and let us reason together. Who says? Isaiah? No, the Lord. You see, we're just bringing the invitation to you tonight. But it's coming from heaven. God has committed. Do you really believe heaven has commissioned us to do this work? Absolutely. It's in our Bible. Do you really believe it's current to today? Exactly. You can read your Bible and find out for yourself. And God's message from our lips are these. Yes, we have all sinned. But God is inviting you to come. Just as you have been invited for this gospel meeting tonight, you are being invited to a far greater gathering and a far happier place, and that's heaven. God wants it. He desires it. He longs to have you in heaven. And He has sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross so that on a righteous basis He can invite you and take you to heaven without your sin. You've got to acknowledge you have it. But once you acknowledge it, The rest of the passage is clear. Maybe we'll touch it on another night. I'm not sure. But the change of what God wants to bring about, the change that salvation brings. He says, though your sin is there, it's like scarlet. It's like dye in your garment that you can't remove. He says, I can change it. And he says, though it's like crimson, though it's like a red stain on a white garment. He said, it's like wool that a sheep grows naturally. Your sin is natural. It comes to you so naturally and to me. But like that sheep would be sheared every time, once a year, and that wool would be taken away, never to be reattached. If you allow God to, that sin will be removed from you, never to stick again, never to be reattached. And you can go to heaven forever without your sin because of the message of the gospel, because of the person of the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I leave this one simple word with you that comes from God to you tonight? I want you to remember it. Come, just come, just as you are. Come, with all your sins,
0: and he can save you. Yes, heaven can be yours through acceptance of this wonderful offer from God himself. Have you ever come to God and reasoned with Him as it were? Acknowledged that God is right in condemning your sin and accepting the sacrifice of Christ on the cross on your behalf? We hope that you will do so soon, even today. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you to understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at email? At anchorpointradio.com, we'd love to hear from you. We're glad that you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by Christians who are meeting in various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday night, as well as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. No collection is ever taken, and a very warm welcome awaits you. And if you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel, or of gathering under the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, following New Testament principles, please feel free to check out our website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information, as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the Gospel Hall nearest you. Also, feel free to take a look at other literature and audio offers at anchorpointradio.com, where you can also subscribe to our Anchor Point podcast. My name is John Sharp, and thank you once again for listening. And we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point where we believe that in times like these, you need a savior and in times like these, you need an anchor.